Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Chapter number three is where we're going to be tonight. And um, this is lesson eight of our Finding Joy series. This will wrap up Philippians uh, three. And then next week we'll start into Philippians four. My goal is to have this uh, wrapped up about midway um, through August, uh, probably a little bit past. We'll probably have about two, maybe three weeks left. And so we'll be probably closer to the end of August, um, but that is the goal for this series. And so it'll end up being about an 11 lesson uh, series, but um, I've enjoyed it. It seems like it's been, it's moved quickly. And so hopefully you have gotten something out of it. But lesson eight brings us to Philippians chapter number three um, and the end of the chapter. Last week we covered uh, probably the largest portion that we'll cover in covering verses one through 14. And we kind of mentioned that last week was really where the book of Philippians comes to its peak. So when you uh, read through a book, you kind of you understand that there's a lot of buildup. And then there's normally a point in the book, even books that you read for uh, school or whatever, there's normally a point in the book to where it comes to a peak. I want to make sure this is on because we seem to me, yeah, it is. Um, so last week was where the book of Philippians came to a peak. And this is really going to start more of the conclusion aspect of it. And what we talked about last week was really the essentials of how to find joy. Um, and that it's found not in what you do, but in what Christ has already done for you. That it is found in continuing to pursue Christ above anything else. And so with that in mind, let's look at verse number 15 um, tonight, and we'll read down through verse number 21. Before we read verse number 15, I want us to go back and read verse number 14 so we understand a little bit of the context of what he's saying in verse 15. So verse 14 says this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. So thus minded is referring to verse number 14. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. If I were you, I would underline that phrase in your Bible. Because here's what he's basically saying. I want you to think like this, but if you're not thinking like that, then God's going to show you. And that's really the goal of a lot of what we'll actually say and study tonight. So he says, this is what I want you, this is the way I want you to be thinking, but if you're not, then God's going to show that to you. Verse number 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an, an ensample. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, which is a very bold statement, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, 
from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I want you to go back and read verse number 20 with me out loud together. Ready, begin. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For our conversation is in heaven. We'll talk about that under our third point, but I want you to keep that phrase in your mind. Our conversation is in heaven. Let's pray. We'll ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to look into your word. Lord, as we've already prayed, Lord, I ask that you would help this to be applied to our hearts, applied to our lives. And Lord, that we would be able to find joy as a result of focusing on the same thing that you want us to focus on. Lord, I pray that we would even be able to find joy and unity, that the people in this room would always be focused on what you have for us, not on what the world throws at us to distract us, not on the current times or the current situations, but Lord, that you would show us how to stay focused on you. Lord, I ask that you would help me as I teach tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd give me the words to say. And Lord, I pray that you'd help these young adults as they listen, Lord, that they would take it and apply it to their hearts and to their lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, if you've ever, how many of you have ever mowed grass? I know this might be more of a guy illustration, but most of you, you're the girls, you've probably been required to mow grass at some point in your life. If you've ever mowed grass. Um, I'm pretty OCD about how my grass looks. I like for it to um, be green. I like for it to not have any weeds in it. I like for everything to be edged, which is not where we're at right now in the house that we've been remodeling and it's driving me absolutely crazy. But if you've ever mowed grass before, to get a straight line and how you're cutting it, most of the time you don't look down at where you at where you're at. You look up at where you're going. Okay, if you're looking down, there's going to be things that are going to distract you. There's going to be things that you are going to oh, I need to swerve around that. And before you know it, you're going to adjust so much so that when you get to the end of the yard, it's like it's like a snake mowed it instead of like a human being who is actually focused on something. So you focus on where you're going, not on what is right in front of you or what is below you. And if you're not careful in this life, sometimes you can get so focused on what is directly beneath you or what is directly in front of you that you fail to remember that what you focus on will determine where you are going. It will determine the straightness of your life. It will determine the stability of your life. And unfortunately, here's what I'm seeing right now with many Christians is that we have become so focused on what is right here and forgotten what is ahead of us that we miss what God has called us to do in this moment. That we miss what God is actually trying to do right now. And here's what I want us to get out of this lesson. Is that joy is not found by focusing on what is around us, but joy is found by focusing on what is ahead of us. And here's what we often do. We often try to make this world and make this earth and make this country closer to heaven rather than just knowing that one day we're going there. And if you're not careful, you will spend all of your time and all of your energy and all of your life on making this feel like home, knowing all the while that you are headed for a different home. You are headed for a different place. You are headed for eternity in heaven. 
And here's what I want you to see, is that the stuff that we are experiencing right now as a world and as a culture and as a country and even as a state and a city and a county and a church, okay? These are all things that should not be a surprise to us as Christians. These are all things that God said were eventually going to happen. And I'm not here to be the doomsday prophet to say that this is the beginning of the end. But here's what I will tell you is that God is putting things together. God is shaping this world up to either accept him or reject him. And if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in, well, this is what's really going on, or this is the politics behind this, or this is what should be said, or this is what someone else should be doing. No one's an expert, okay? No one knows what anyone should be doing. But I can tell you this, that as a child of God and as a Christian, you better be doing what God wants you to do. And this is almost, for me, I couldn't have planned this. I could, if I would have, I, if I could have, I would have, okay? But here's what I'm seeing right now in the church, is that everybody is wrapped up, not just our church, the church as a whole. Everybody is wrapped up in what doesn't matter. Everybody is wrapped up in what is right here. And when Paul says our conversation is in heaven, he says our life is in heaven. And if you're not careful, like I've already said, you will make this your life. You will make fighting against whatever your life. You will make being, whatever, being against something or being for something or being anti this and pro this or pro this and anti this. You will make that what you are about in this society. And by the way, it's easy to do. But from this passage, here's what I want us to see. That's not what's going to bring you joy. Is it maybe right? Probably. But it's not where you're going to find your joy. Your joy is going to be found when you focus on what matters to God and what will impact eternity and those around you. So with that in mind, here's what we're going to do. I want to really give you almost three conclusions, I guess, if you want to call it that. Three conclusions from this passage about joy and what you're focused on. The first one is this. Same focus, same joy. Same focus, same joy. When you have the same focus as others around you, is what we're referring to, or the same focus as God, you can all have the same joy. When we introduced this book, we said that Paul was really more serving as an encourager, as a cheerleader. He said, this is where, he said, you guys are already doing it right. I just want to kind of push you along and spur you along. And in verses 15 through 17, the first part of verse 17, here's what he's saying. He says, you guys are already doing it. Let me just help you. Let me just help you continue. And if this is a snapshot of how joy should look in Christianity and how joy should look in the life of Christians as collectively, then we better pay attention to it. So here's what he says. He says, let us therefore as many as be perfect. That word perfect is not talking about perfection or inner perfection as much as it is talking about righteousness that comes from the perfection of Jesus Christ. So it's talking about a spiritual perfection that comes from Christ. So these are saved people. He says, be thus minded. We said thus minded is referring to verse number 14. Verse number 14 is him saying, I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm going this way. So you want joy? then you need to focus on what I'm focusing on. 
I'm focusing on getting closer to Jesus Christ. I'm focusing on preparing for his return. I'm focusing on getting ready for heaven. And that's where my joy is found. Be thus minded. And if, any, if, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. We said that at the beginning of this book that this is one of the few epistles where Paul does not confront sin. Okay, He doesn't call anybody out on it. I don't know that he's calling anybody out on this, but here's what I will say. He's making it very obvious that if you're not focused on God, God's going to fix it. Okay, He's going to change it. He says, this is what I'm focused on. Let's focus on pressing toward the mark. Let's focus on getting ready for Christ. And if any of you guys that are reading this or those listening to this aren't that way, well, then God's going to tell you about it. I'm not even going to try to fix it, okay? So he says um, that he'll reveal it unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. So what was he focused on that brought him the same joy? First of all, focus on the same mind. Focus on the same mind. He says, be thus minded. If you look at the people that you get along with the most in this room, chances are they are of the same mind as you, aren't they? If you look at the people that you get along with in life and that you enjoy spending time with, chances are they are of the same mind as you, right? Everybody, would everybody agree with that? You have, we have a tendency to surround ourselves with people that are like us, and I'm not here to to contradict that. I think that's almost in some ways healthy, okay? But we very rarely are like, I can't wait to go out and find someone that I get to argue with, right? Some of you probably do like that. <laughs> so um, you're the exception to the rule, all right? But he says, be thus minded. Meaning this. He says, I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And he says, I want you to find that same joy. And if you look at the problems that occur in families, in your relationships, in Christianity, and in churches, typically, I'm not even going to say typically, I'm, I'm confident that 100% of the time, it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with, this is about me. This is how I feel. This is where I'm at. This is what I think. This is what I've heard. This is what I have seen. This is, and it turns inward, and that is where joy and unity begin to be robbed. Because no longer is it of the same mind it is of different minds, and they are of minds that are not of Christ. Remember, this is the same book that earlier in the, in the book, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So focus on the same mind. Secondly, focus on the same revelation. Focus on the same revelation. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about some spooky revelation. I'm not talking about the book of Revelation. We're actually using the word that's from Scripture, so look at it. He says at the end of verse number 15, and if, any, if in anything ye be otherwise minded. So if you're ever focused on anything else, here's what's going to happen. God shall reveal even this unto you. You know what? I had this thought, and I want you to, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, I want you to listen to this, okay? 
I, had, I wrote this down in my Bible today when I was studying it and I was reading it. We're all adults, okay? The millennial generation, Gen Z generation that some of you are in and that are representing, we're kind of known for opinions sometimes that aren't, like, based in fact, okay? <laughs> we're sometimes known for being belligerent about opinions that are not based in fact. But here's what I want you to listen to, okay? And let the Holy Spirit answer this for you. Don't you answer it, because I know how I answered it when I asked myself, and then it was like God hit me and was like, that was you answering, not me, okay? But what would it take for something to change your mind? Some of you are like, for God to ride it in the sky. Yeah, that was my answer, okay? What would it actually take to convince you that you're wrong about something? If you're like me, here was my, I'll, I'll, I'll open up, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll close the curtain. When I asked myself that question today, here's what, here was my answer. Well, I'm not wrong, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> what would it take to actually convince you that you were wrong? I'm not talking about matters that are scriptural, okay? I'm not talking about that. For most of us, we build our opinions and our preferences, and, and I'm not trying to harp on anything, so don't like make, let your mind run like, he's preaching at someone, isn't he? No, I'm really not. We're, remember, we're going verse by verse. I didn't skip to this, okay? So if you're mad, be mad at God, because he wrote it before I ever did, all right? But sometimes here's what we do. This is what I believe, and I'm going to let my whole life be dictated around it. And here's what Paul says. He says, I want you to focus on getting ready for Christ. I want you to press toward the mark. I want you to get ready. That's what I'm doing. You should be thus minded. And he says, and if you're not, then God's going to show you. And here's what I honestly think where most Christians are at. Is God probably has shown you, you just don't care. God probably has, if, if, if I know the Holy Spirit and how he works in most people's lives and how he should work in the life of a Christian, God has probably shown you a couple of areas that it's kind of like, eh, you might not need to go down that road that far. But that would require humility for us to reel it in, wouldn't it? And I want to show you how all this ties in. If it requires humility for us to reel that back and to admit that we might not have been right or we might not have manifested it the right way, what's the first step of revival? My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. And we step back and we scratch our heads like, well, I can't, I can't believe we haven't had a revival. We've been praying for it since Vision Sunday. Well, could it be that God has given it, we just haven't recognized it or been willing to change anything to see it actually happen and occur in our lives? So focus on, first of all, the same mind. Secondly, focus on the same revelation. What is God trying to show you? Revelation is God revealing himself. It is him revealing something in your life. So what is he showing you that you might need to change, That a TV show that you might need to turn off and not watch anymore, maybe a group of friends that you shouldn't hang around, maybe it's a thought process or a philosophy what is it that God has shown you that you have become focused on that is not of him thirdly 
focus on the same guidance. Focus on the same guidance. He says this, Let us therefore as many be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. By the same rule. That word rule is the word that we use for canonization of Scripture, okay? So the canon of Scripture, the rule is a measuring rod, okay? This is where that word comes from. So the canon of Scripture, this is going to be a really long thought process, so stick with me. I know some of you are like, you already lost me, okay? There's five ways that we got our Bible, all right? Inspiration, I'm not, uh, revelation, inspiration, and then finally you get down to canonization at number five. I'm not going to remember the other two, so we're going to skip them, all right? Um, <laughs> actually, I think illumination. It's a lot of Asians, okay? We're on canonization for this first, all right? But this is the word canon. It's the word measuring rod. And here's what it, here's kind of the justification and kind of the thought process of it, is that the measuring rod that we use to develop our Bible meant that there were certain things that had to be in place as you were putting it together. This same rule means this, that when you look at the life of a Christian, chances are there should be a couple of things that are in place. He's not talking about a legalistic approach to Christianity. Do this or you lose your salvation. He's talking about that there needs to be a distinction there needs to be some sort of measurement. You know what I most often think that that measurement is in the life of a Christian is fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Holiness. A desire to know God. And if those aren't present in your life, then here's what you've got to ask yourself. You don't have to ask yourself, well, am I really saved? Because I think that according to the people that I'm talking to in this room, most of you are, at least from what I know. I don't think that it's an evaluation of our salvation as much as it is an evaluation of what are we focused on. If we're not focused on being a part of the same guidance and the same, same measuring rod, then what have we replaced that with? Have we replaced it with being measured by the world's success? By being measured by how many friends we have or how much money we have in our bank account or what kind of vehicles we drive or what kind of things we own? What have we replaced that guidance with? So focus on the same guidance. And then he says very clearly, this is not a creative sub-point at all, but he says focus on the same thing. At the very end of verse number 16, he says, let us mind the same thing. You say, what's the same thing? The same thing. I had a professor in college that taught us to never use the word things when introducing your lesson. So sometimes you get, I, I still do it, all right? So, but he would always say, don't say, because he, he would say, what's a thing? He would actually like ask us, like, what's a thing? And it's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but he would say, don't say, I'm going to give you five things. So if you notice tonight, knowing that I was going to use that illustration, I said, I'm going to give you three conclusions from this passage. And I didn't say, I'm going to give you three things, because what's a thing? I don't even know if these are conclusions. I just came up with a word, did not have to use the word thing, all right? <laughs> but he says, Focus, let us mind the same thing. And I think the reason why he says that is this. 
Let's just stay focused on what matters, however you want to define it. There's going to be some people that say, well, we need to focus on being faithful to the Word of God. That's a thing. That's good. Good job. We need to focus on reaching people with the gospel. That's also a thing. Good job. We need to focus on discipling those who accept. That's a thing. And here's what he's saying. Just focus on what God wants you to focus on. However you want to define it. And sometimes here's what we're guilty of doing. Was we're guilty of making our thing more important than someone else's thing. Right? Is that, well, let's be faithful to the word of God. Absolutely. 100%. Amen. And this guy over here is saying, well, let's be faithful to preach the gospel to the lost. And it's like, well, you heretic. You're just trying to be faithful to the word of God. And I'm over here trying to preach the gospel to the lost people. That's the same thing. Don't let your joy be stolen by elevating what God has called you to do above what God has called someone else to do. Be of the same mind on the same thing. And then he says this, lastly, is focus on the same direction. Focus on the same direction. I want you to listen carefully because if you're not careful with this verse, you can misconstrue it. Verse number 17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me. We've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks and, and throughout this book and really throughout some of our other series about this thought process. Is that we are not called to make followers of ourselves. We are called to make followers of Jesus Christ. So in verse number 17, Paul is not saying, become a follower of me. In fact, it's in Corinthians that he says, be ye followers of me as I follow Christ. He's not talking about, I want to see who's lined up behind me. I want to see how many people I can get to follow me on Instagram as I complete my missionary journeys. That's not what he's talking about. He says, focus on the same direction, which means this. Refer back to number, verse number 14. I press toward the mark. I'm going after Christ. And it's okay to follow someone else who is going after Christ. He says, if I'm going to follow Christ, and I know you can count on me because I'm going to be faithful, if I'm going to do that, then you can follow me. And here's what I want to really give you fair warning of, but then also help you apply this is that as you surround yourself with people that you look up to, that you enjoy, that you spend time with, I would even dare say that you date, okay? Make sure that you are following them as they follow Christ. Because if you're going to follow someone, you better make sure they're going in the same direction as you. Because if not you'll discover what we're about to see. Let's look at it. So first of all, you see same joy or same focus, different joy. Secondly, and here's what he was trying to keep them from, you see a different focus and a different joy. A different focus and a different joy. At the end of verse 17, he says, "I want you to follow me. I want you going the same direction as me. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ." But then he closes with a warning. He says, And mark them which walk so as ye have for an ensample. 
For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. How does he know that? Verse number 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Here's the reason why I phrased this this way in this point as a conclusion. Yes, you can focus on other things in this life. And yes, they will bring you temporary joy. But the only way that you experience that permanent joy is as you focus on what God calls you to focus on. So the second that your focus changes to something different, different focus, different joy. Here's what occurs, and I want you to watch this because if, mo- if, if you're honest, most of you can even diagnose this in your own life because I can diagnose in my, in my life, okay? Is that as I focus on something other than God, when I get a win out of that, there's joy, right? When I begin to, if I begin to focus on money, and man, I just work myself to death, and, and maybe I finally have a big financial windfall. Guess what? There's joy in that, isn't there? Man, look at that. Work finally paid off. Hustle hard, right? But if you're honest, most of the time, you only get the shot of joy when something good happens. You only get that little dose of joy when you got the win. And if you're not careful, you will chalk up so many losses by being focused on something other than God that you won't even know how to find joy in God. So the second that your focus shifts to something else and becomes different, you will experience joy, but it will be short-term, it will be temporary, and it will not be something that lasts in your life. It will not be fulfilling joy. So a different focus brings different joy. So what should you do? How should you handle this? First of all, a different focus is marked. He says, mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. He says, mark them who are different than kind of how I am. Mark them who are living out their lives differently. Mark them who are making Christianity and the gospel and the faith about themselves. Mark them. So a different focus should be marked. When you're around people who say, well, I really think that this is what we should be focused on right now. I really think that this is what we should be talking about right now. I really think that this is what... That is a different focus, okay? I really think that this is how something else should go. I really think... That is a different focus. And don't let what someone else is focused on rob you of what God has called you to focus on. So a different focus is marked. Secondly, a different focus is hurtful. And when I say a different focus, let me explain that for just a second because I feel like that that can be taken wrong. Okay? When I talk about a different focus, I'm not talking about a difference in opinion. Okay? I understand that there are going to be people that have, you have your differences. Okay? I'm not saying that the, <laughs> this is the way that we can take a point like that. Like, well, good, that means I'm right and they're wrong. Okay, it goes back to our earlier thought. That's just the confirmation that I needed to know that I should not even be listening to what that person has to say. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about in elements of spirituality. 
and elements of scripture and elements of, uh, of church and, and, and priorities. And, and well, I really think that you should just take some time and, and just focus on yourself for a little while. Okay, that's, that's anti-biblical is what that ultimately is. I really think that you should just take some time. No, what changes you is when you focus on God, when you focus on Christ, when you focus on heaven. So a focus is marked, a focus, uh, a different focus is hurtful. He says this at the beginning of verse number 18. He says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. It's interesting to me that he uses the term the cross of Christ. Why would he say the cross of Christ? Why wouldn't he just say that they are enemies of Christ? Because here's why I think. Is that when we get distracted and we begin to focus on things that are not of God, ultimately what is hurt the most in that? The gospel. The great commission. Sharing your faith with someone else. Sharing the marvelous work of the cross of Christ is what is hindered. And when you become focused on something other than God and what He has for you, that focus will become hurtful. But then notice also at the beginning of verse number 19, a different focus is destructive. He says, whose end is destruction. Whose end is destruction. You focus long enough, long enough on things that are not of God, you will be hurt. You will get to the end of your life and not maybe experience utter physical destruction, but I think that you will experience an internal destruction. You will experience an emptiness to where you almost have to just sit there and say, well, here I am and I've missed it. I focused on the wrong thing. So a different focus is, is uh, destructive. But uh, number four, a different focus is selfish. He says this, whose God is their belly. That, does not talk, that is not talking about their eating habits, okay? Whose God is their belly, which means this. They are going to choose what they focus on based off of how it benefits them. Have you ever been around someone that it seems like that they can twist every situation to make it convenient for them? Anybody ever been around someone that some of you are like, I haven't really thought about that long enough, but I feel like it's the person I'm sitting beside. Okay, don't raise your hand then. But they can make every situation be twisted to where it's about them, right? Or it's convenient for them. Like, you know, I was just thinking, and you're listening to their reasons, and it's like, wait a second. You got to the end of this, and all of your reasons were really good, but somehow it got you out of work and got me in work, okay? Like, there's some people that are just really good about getting out of life. Like, they, like, slither through life, and it's like, how did you get, how, how did that happen? Like, or they walk out of your office, and you're, and you're like, yeah, okay, and then they leave, and it's like, wait a second, they're going on vacation and I'm doing all their work. Like, they're in the Bahamas and I'm here behind a laptop, like, slaving away, like, answering all their emails, right? But they had really good reasons. <laughs> they, they, they gave me A, B, C, and D, and I shook my head and agreed with them. And, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. And then before you know it, it's like, wait, 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 can we do that conversation over again? Because I would like to change my opinion on a couple things. But a different focus in the Christian life 
is selfish. And here's what he's saying, whose God is their belly. He says that they'll make Christianity convenient when it's convenient for them. They'll make it a priority. They'll focus on it when it bounces back to them. And sometimes we have a way of like painting Christianity like that for people. Like, you give and God gives to you. Da da da. All right. Like this, welcome to the price is right. Buy your ticket. You might get a chance to win. Drop something in the offering box and God might deposit something into your bank account. And sometimes we don't just teach Christianity because it's right. Sometimes we don't just treat Christianity and teach it because it's sacrificial. And so sometimes we build a selfish Christianity or a selfish lifestyle and a selfish focus. And our God is our belly. What's this going to do? How is this going to affect me? Yeah, I'm happy to serve, but what's, what, do you, what do I get out of it? Is there a plaque at the end of the year? Like any sort of ribbons? Like how about those crowns in heaven thing? Is that going to go into it? And we make it about us. And sometimes we're really good about making things that are intended for the glory of God for our own glory. We're really good at praising God, but it's actually about us. So a different uh, focus is selfish. A different focus, number five, is backwards. A different focus is backwards. I want to show you this. He says in ver- at the end of verse number 19, he says, And whose glory is in their shame. I think that if there was a phrase that summarized our culture right now, it would be that one. Whose glory is in their shame. Yeah, this is brand new. Yeah, this is something our country's never experienced before. But guess what? We're right. And we almost glory in how shameful we can become. I don't know that Christians struggle with this as much as the world does. But whose glory is in their shame. That we're happy about being against God. That we're okay with burning Bibles in our country. That we're okay with maybe some of the very obvious sins that are against God and against the very glory of God. We glory in our shame. And let me just say that there should never come a time in a Christian's life to where you take glory in being against God. To where you take glory in what God sees as shameful. And then lastly, a different, different focus is earthly. A different focus is earthly. Look at the end of verse number 19. He says, who mind earthly things. Sometimes in my Bible, I like to circle when I see some words that show up a couple times, and I like to tie them to each other. So let me show you this one, okay? What did he say at the end of verse number 16? He said, let us mind the same thing. Remember, that was when we talked about what is a thing, and none of you knew, okay? Kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss poem. What is a thing? I don't know a thing. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) But he says, (laughs) that that phrase didn't even make sense. I don't know a thing. (laughs) But he says, let us mind the same thing. And then at the end of this verse, he says, whose mind is earthly things. And you're going to choose one thing or another. You're going to choose the thing of God and the things of God or the things of this world. 
And remember what we started with? Is the way that you experience a straight line in this Christian life. Stability. Spiritual success, as we've talked about on Sunday mornings. The way that you experience that is not by looking down at where you're at, but looking up at where you are going. Which leads us to this third thought, and the final thought, is that heavenly focus brings heavenly joy. Heavenly focus, heavenly joy. So he says you're going to choose one thing or another. You're going to choose the things of God that keep you unified and joyful, keep you going the same direction, keep you experiencing the same guidance, or you're going to experience the things of this earth. And he closes with a powerful statement in this chapter in the beginning of verse number 20 that we read out loud. He says, For our conversation is in heaven. How many of you ever remember being at like maybe a church camp or maybe even just in like a service here at church and you remember someone explaining the word conversation to you out of scripture? Remember some they may remember what it was, what word they said? Lifestyle. Your life, who you are, how you live. He says your lifestyle is in heaven. It's not in this earth. So here's what I want to do. Take all of the subpoints, all of the points, all the little illustrations that you heard tonight, and let me ask you three questions under this thought. Heavenly joy or heavenly focus, heavenly joy. How do you get it? Number one, answer the question, where is your life? Where is your life? Or if you even want to ask it this way, where are you building your life? What's Matthew chapter number 6 say? Laying on up treasures for yourself in, on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And you can build a good life down here. You can build a happy life down here. I would dare say that you could even probably build somewhat of a joyful life down here. But you cannot build heaven on earth. But think about how your life would be different if you chose to focus on heaven for the rest of eternity, for the rest of your life down here. Like if you chose to live in a way to where at the end of your life, heaven was just the next step. And instead of looking back and saying, well, I'm proud of everything that I built down here, you can look forward and say, no, I'm proud of everything that, I'm, that I have built in heaven. And let's just be honest, the world makes that really hard for us to do right now, don't, doesn't it? It's easy to get our life wrapped up in this. It's easy to get wrapped up in having, having to get a new car and get the, get the next iPhone because this iPhone is super slow. You know whose iPhone was super slow? Moses, okay? Like the dude had to write out the Ten Commandments, so his tablet was a little behind the times, all right? All right? Uh, <laughs> but listen, okay, for just a second. 
that was not in my notes. That was off the top of my head. It's kind of like the Dr. Seuss poem, okay? It just kind of came together at the right time. Or came together at the exact wrong time because it came out of my mouth, all right? Listen. Some of you guys don't look like you're listening, so I feel like I have to be like the cheerleader up here like, ah, okay. For just a second, I want you to think about this. The things that stress you out and that worry you and that bother you, chances are, and this is me included, okay, so I'm not throwing accusations that I'm not willing to own myself. Chances are they're not things of God. They're things of this world. Most of us, okay, most of us, aren't super stressed out that we haven't led anyone to the Lord in maybe a month or two, are we? Most of us aren't super stressed out. Oh, man, God, I just so wish I could give you more. Most of us are like trying to do the math, like, are we sure that it's 10%? Like, I'm pretty sure I could get off the hook and give God less, right? We're trying to figure that out more than how to do more for God. Most of us don't get very stressed out or worked up that we maybe aren't investing in someone else or, or that we aren't. No, what are we stressed out or worked up, again, uh, uh, worked up about? Most of the time, where we're at financially, where we're at relationally. Maybe something's broke at the house or broken my apartment or, man, I sure wish I had this or I sure wish this would change and I wish that my car didn't squeak like this when I came to see my friends because they don't have squeaky cars and I'm the squeaky car girl and I'm the squeaky car guy and that's just so not cool. And then, like, everyone knows that I don't have, like, the newest phone. So, like, when they get on an app, like, and they want me to play a game or they want to Marco Polo me or that whatever, like, mine's glitchy because I'm, like, three updates behind because my phone won't take the new update. We stress about things that don't matter in eternity. We worry about mask or no mask. We worry about, I don't know, whatever, okay? Girlfriends, boyfriends. We worry about family. We worry about our health. We worry about insurance. We worry about taxes. We worry about this. And we worry about all of this stuff. And God says, your conversation, your lifestyle is in heaven. And so guess what? If you get good at something that doesn't matter to God, that can't go with you. If you win an argument with someone about something on this earth, that doesn't earn you a crown in heaven. So where's your life? Where's your focus? How are you living in light of heaven? Then the second question is, where is your look? Most of the time you can determine where your life is by where you're looking. You say, I don't know where I'm building. Then what are you focusing on? What consumes you? What drives you? If there was anything that you could point to and say, this is what wakes me up in the morning, would it be God? Some of us aren't there yet. So where is your life? Where is your look? And then lastly is this, where is your hope? He says in verse number 21, he says, Who shall change our vile body 
that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He says, you want to change? You want things to change? You want something to be different? You want something to change in your life? Just wait till you get to heaven. Sometimes, as a young person, I would consider myself a young person, okay? If you disagree, just don't tell me, okay? When I think about heaven, there's a couple things that run through my mind. And I, and I, I don't think these are wrong or anti-biblical, so just bear with me for just a second. There is a little part of me that yes, heaven solves all of the problems. Heaven pulls us out of this weird, wicked world that we live in in 2020. And praise the Lord for that. And heaven is where Christ is. But if I'm honest, let me just share two thoughts with you. Here's what I think about when I think about heaven. Number one, I think, Lord, give this generation a shot. I don't know how many of you played sports maybe growing up or you, maybe if you played for a school. You always looked forward to the chance for you to play. So when you were in elementary, you couldn't wait till you got to be on, on JV. Because why? Your team was going to be better. You wanted a shot at it. You wanted a chance to compete. When you were in junior varsity, you couldn't wait till varsity because why? You wanted a chance to compete. When I look at this world, yeah, it's messed up. But I want this generation in this room, me included, to get a shot. Now, we might mess it up, okay? So just be okay with that. And when we... <laughs> And if, when all of us become leaders and, and some of you guys are running for Congress and I, I'm voting for you, okay, maybe, I hope, all right. We might all be praying, Lord, come get us. It's getting really crazy down here. But don't you just kind of a little part of you want a shot to make a difference? Isn't there a little piece of you that says, Lord... I, I know you're getting close. But just give me a chance. Let, let me have the opportunity to build a prayer life that changes people. Let me, just give me one, a couple of years to have a chance to reach the lost people that are around me. Just give me a shot, God. But there's also a little part of me that when I think about heaven, not only do I take that into consideration... But I think about this, Lord, help me that when I get to heaven for you not to have a lot of work left to do. Because what we know about heaven is that we will experience perfection. According to this verse that we just read, we shall be changed. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of the above. We will be changed. And I'll just be honest with you, sometimes when I think about the first thought of, Lord, give this generation a thought, there's also that second thought like, eh, eh, <laughs> we might not be there yet. 
And here's what I would hate to see happen with the people in this room that I love and that I pray for and that I want God's best for. It was I would hate for us to stand before God one day and him say, you missed it. Oh yeah, you were focused. But you were focused on what didn't matter. And so because of that, you didn't experience heavenly joy on earth. You wrapped up your life in things down there. You were focused, you were looking at what was in front of you rather than what was before you. And your hope was in yourself. Your hope was in that you could do something and not what I could do through you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. We'll ask God to help us. Before we pray, I want to just ask you those three questions one more time, just by way of application. And sometimes I'm guilty of asking a question and feeling the need to, I don't know, explain it to you. Okay? So let me just ask them with no explanation. Where's your life? Where are you building? Number two, where's your look? Where are you focused? Where are you headed? Number three, where's your hope? I would hate to think that through all of the craziness of this world, that we have still convinced ourselves that there is something down here that we can put our hope in. put our hope in Christ. Let's put our hope in the change that we will experience one day when we stand before Him. And let's begin now preparing for it. Where's your life? Where's your look? And where is your hope? Let's Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.